My name is Caroline Perryman, and I have Veronica Schnitzius here. She is the president of American Leather, and American Leather, combined with all your companies now, um, has generated over $300 million, or $320 million in revenue this right. past year, and y'all produce over 400 to 500 pieces of furniture a day. Just in Dallas. Just in Dallas. Okay, combined, so there's even more. Yes, 800 wow. or so, yeah. Wow, so Veronica, tell us a little bit about yourself, because I'd love to hear more. Thank you. Well, thank you for inviting me. I'm kind of glad to be here today. Let me start from where I come from. I come from Colombia, Medellin, Colombia, to be exact. I came to the U.S. 20 years ago. August 20th is going to be my 20th anniversary in the U.S. I went to engineering school in Colombia, and I got the opportunity to do an internship in Dallas, Texas. I guess my destiny was here. I came in, did my internship, and they offered me a job. So came back and I have been here now 20 years. So that's kind of the beginning of everything. Can you tell us a little bit more about your journey from Colombia to the United States or to Canada? Was, was that where you, where yeah. you started? Um, I've heard that you came with two suitcases and $500. <laughs> I'd love to hear more about yeah. how that was. So I went to engineering school in Colombia and the school that I went to, you have to be bilingual to graduate. So. You can have all your classes and your thesis, but if you don't speak a second language, you cannot become an engineer. So it makes sense to learn English, right? So my parents sent me to Victoria, Canada, which is in the West Coast. So I went to UVic, it's mm -hmm. the University of Victoria. I studied English there. And when I was there, I got the opportunity to come and do my internship in Dallas. It was a company called The Leather Center. It's another furniture company. Uh, it was owned by uh, a guy from Colombia that had this program with the school to have bring interns every six months. So I came as a manufacturing engineer, did a project, and when I finished, they offered me a job. But I had to go back home, graduate. So I was in Colombia for like a year and a half. While I was there, I started working for KPNG as a consultant. I was in love. I thought life was great. You know, Colombia was great. But, you know, growing up in Colombia, and especially in Medellin, on the 80s, there were some situations that were not as pleasant. Unfortunately, we have the Medellin cartel, Pablo Escobar, all that crazy stuff. Things got better on the 90s, but still the country was not necessarily the greatest place. And when I went back to Colombia to graduate and was in love, I thought, my parents sat me down and they said, we understand you think you're in love, you're only 22 years old, you're going to the U.S. Uh, pretty much. Uh, so <laughs> at that time, I, you know, I kind of thought, well, maybe that's the right thing. So I thought I was going to come here for five years, do my master's and go back. And 20 years later, I'm here, right? But I came and I started working with this company as an industrial engineer. I was making $28,000 a year. And I thought it was a millionaire coming from Colombia, right? It was awesome. You kind of learn to appreciate every little thing, learn a lot on that job. And after eight months, they went chapter seven. So literally, we're working on Friday, come on Monday, the doors are locked, everybody's out. So as an immigrant, when you come to the US to work, I had a, what is called an H-1 visa. Mm -hmm. So you have one month to either find another job or you have to go back to your country. And I was lucky enough that somebody introduced me to Bob Duncan, the founder of American Leather. And two weeks later, I had a job. Oh. transferred my visa, got all that stuff, and I have been here within, actually, tomorrow is 19 years. 
Wow. At the beginning, I was like, I still wanted to do my MBA and go. And I started going to school at night at the community college. I'm working during the day. Then I transferred to UTA, graduated from my MBA, and I guess the rest is history. That's amazing. <laughs> so how um, did you decide to start going for your MBA um, while you were an engineer here at American Leather? Yeah, so I'll tell you a funny story. So I started as an engineer, right? So a lot of the stuff that I had to do was like set up production lines or change the layout or something like that. And I reported to, at that point, who was the engineer, uh, engineering manager. And I was doing a project for production and the maintenance group was very hard to work with. Mm-hmm. And even though I gave them direction, they wouldn't be listening too, too much to me at that point. So. I was so upset, like crying, and I went to the, the guy that was a production manager, his name is George Kinninger, and he's like German background, 6'5", 350, he's huge, <laughs> right? And I go to his office, and I was 22, tiny, right? And he looked at me and he said, I want you to leave the nice lady home tomorrow and bring the bee here, can you do that? <laughs> and I was like, hmm, okay, and that was it. And the next day I said, this is what you guys have to do, and they did it. Two weeks later, I went to report directly to the production manager, and that's kind of how I started building a relationship with him. And after six months of working with him, he goes, if you wanna keep growing, you have to get your MBA. That's amazing. And I also, um, one thing I read was that there was a personal personality test too that was involved <laughs> that, um, you was just you, you did your homework, <laughs> yes, yes. So when I was interviewing for, for American Leather, the founder, his name is Bob Duncan, so you have to do this personality test. And apparently I tested so wrong to what their job was that it's like an applying for a sales job and an engineer, usually mm-hmm. those two things don't go together, right? And he, for whatever reason, he felt the test was wrong and that was the last time that they did the test to any employees. That's so fun. So, so do you think maybe the, the test was more geared towards, I mean, at least for you, maybe more leadership stuff, and it was just like a... It, it, the test pretty much said that I wasn't a good on details as an engineer, right? That's mm-hmm. what the test said. And, and they made me take it in Spanish. They thought maybe it was a language barrier, and I failed equally as much <laughs> in the Spanish one as I did on the English one. But for whatever reason, Bob felt, no, this doesn't feel right. Yeah. And he took a chance on me and, you know, I'm here today, right? So yeah. it was a, a weird thing. We actually got to meet the guy that did the test and Bob was like, she's the reason we don't work with you anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so it's sitting fun. in the room like, oh. Sorry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> sorry about that. It's still today, we never had done that, that <laughs> yeah. kind of personal. We use other stuff like predictive index mm-hmm. and other stuff, but never use that test. Yeah. yeah, we've used different, I had to take a bunch of personality tests for Higginbotham, but that's I another bet. story. I, don't, I have no idea what my results were, but they hired me. So that's, yeah. that's good. <laughs> yes. Whatever they were looking for, you exactly. passed. Exactly, <laughs> yes. exactly. Um, okay, also, I did some research, and it said um, that Faith brought you to Dallas for your internship. Can you tell me a little more about that? Yeah, so I do believe that things happen for a reason, right? And, and what was interesting is that when I was going to Canada, I never planned to come to Dallas, right? And my ticket was Medellin, Miami, Miami, Dallas, Dallas, Vancouver. And when I got the opportunity, I, I always felt like, why would I stop in Dallas of any city to go to Canada, right? Could it have gone, I don't know, through Mexico to Canada, you know what I mean? Instead of going east to go, you know, mm-hmm. west. And, and that was it. And when I got this opportunity, it felt right from the beginning. The only thing that was interesting to me is 
I was learning English in Canada, right? And then I come from, from Vancouver or Victoria to Dallas. I could not understand a word people said. Just the English in Canada is so different. You know, it's more like British English. Mm -hmm. And here, I remember calling my mom that night and I said, Mom, you wasted all this money. I don't understand <laughs> a word they, they said. And it's just like getting used to it. And I think like obviously the, the Hispanic influence in Texas, you know, being bilingual has been a great tool for me to relate to the employees. So yeah, so I think it was faith, it was destiny. I do believe things happen for a reason. And I think this was the place for me to be. I met my husband, my daughter is from Dallas. So this is home now. It's yeah. been, it's gonna be almost the same amount of time in my life in Dallas versus where I grew up. Oh, that's yeah. so, so thank goodness for the DFW airport thing. <laughs> yes, thank <laughs> that you. we have you yes, here, I'm so thankful. You, yes. Sorry, our accents are, yeah. <laughs> it was a little different, yes. Yes, um, so back to your leadership role. When were you starting that was around? Because you moved here at 22 or you started in Dallas at 22? I moved here when I was 22. Okay. Yeah. So mm -hmm. it sounds like you started in leadership really soon after that. So yep. were you like 23, 24? 23. Wow. Yeah. So basically I started as an engineer and like I told you because of uh, the maintenance uh, challenge that I had, the two weeks later he says, well, they don't want to listen to you. Now you're their boss. So Interesting enough, I ended up my first group that I really managed was the maintenance guys. There were mm -hmm. four guys, and it was interesting, right? Yeah. Like yeah. this little Colombian woman having, telling them what to do, and I really didn't know anything about maintenance, right? But that was my first journey, and when I was doing that, there was a big challenge on the cutting department, so they asked me if I could try that. So I did it, and I went from four people to maybe, at that time, maybe 35, mm -hmm. two shifts. So that was very fun. I think it's still out of the 35, probably at least 10 employees are still here. Wow, with that's us. amazing. So yeah, people that, honestly, we have a tremendous workforce and the tenure is great. You know, I always tell people, you know, our biggest assets are the employees, right? We can buy, any, anybody can buy, any, borrow money and buy anything, but people and they care for the business, you can't, right? Like mm -hmm. you can pay people a lot of money and they will work for you, but if their heart is not there, it won't work long term, right? So I think making sure the employees are taken care of is huge. And you know, that that first group really taught me a lot of stuff, even cultures, you know, learning how what what motivated and what was important mm -hmm. to them. They just sometimes they just wanted to be listened to and be part of it. And in a lot of companies it's like a machine or like yeah. a number. And you know, they have the same challenge you and I have. They have relationships, they have kids, they have dogs, they have bills to pay, right? So it's it just making sure that we understand like where we are, right? And the more they understand where the company is going, the less kind of worrisome they're gonna have about the future, right? Because everybody worries, how am I gonna pay my bills, right? Mm -hmm. Or how am I gonna do whatever I have to do? So that really was my first kind of journey into understanding that part about people and leaders, because it's about that, right? Like you can be the smartest engineer, you can be whatever, but if the employees don't wanna work with you, it won't work. Yeah. So that was one of my questions I was about to mm -hmm. ask was, how did you get them to work with you mm -hmm. as a 23-year-old woman? Is the secret really just getting to know people and them getting yeah. to know you? And how did you get to know them? Because I'm sure there was you know, a, a guard up for them saying, oh, she's this tiny woman yeah. um, and young woman. Cause there's, I'll even go into meetings and they're like, oh, I thought, I thought <laughs> you were like, if I had gray hair, maybe it helps them. Or if right. I bring an older man, it always helps. How did you get them to listen to you to build that bond? I think I had to listen to them first. Yeah. So, you know, what was interesting and 
I think I actually was pretty lucky because the manager that was there before was not very nice. So I think by me not being mean, yeah, that was like, wow, that's awesome, right? So we started doing things like we had like birthday celebrations or every time that we accomplished something, like we brought food, like cakes, like I, I was on the floor with them and I learned the job. Don't ask me how to sew a sofa, but I, I always says that I'm dangerous enough to ask the question. So if I don't understand what they're doing, how can I ask them to do more, right? Mm -hmm. So I think the first thing was like listening to them, understanding their job, understanding their challenges and kind of removing obstacles, right? I think as a manager, no matter what kind of manager you are, how high you how you know, on that pyramid, whatever mm -hmm. you want to call it, right? is you are removing obstacles for people. The machine doesn't work. Mm -hmm. uh, the maintenance guy doesn't come on time. And not getting paid enough or uh, incentives and systems. So you kind of try to remove obstacles and create things that they feel, if I do this, I'm gonna get this. Because mm -hmm. let's be honest, people come to a job not because it's a nonprofit, I'm gonna save kids and stuff like that. They come here because they need some type of income, right? Yeah. And I always tell the employees, hey, we're paying you, right? That's a done deal. Let's make it fun because you can get paid, especially today, you know, everywhere. Mm -hmm. Everybody's looking for employees everywhere. So what is it that is gonna make us different? Because money can take you so far, right? You know, and then after that, what? Is fulfillment, is enjoyment, is the working conditions, is your peers, you know? So all those things kind of add up, you know, little by little. So that's what we focus a lot of like in wellness, right? So for me personally, if I don't feel good about myself, I'm not gonna be good with you or anybody, mm -hmm. right? Like, so a lot of people, like, I remember when I came to the US, you know, I, I love to work out, do different things. And people's like, oh, why do you work out? You're already married. I was like, I don't work out for my husband. I don't <laughs> really care what he thinks about my workout. I do it for me, right? But if I'm not happy with myself, I cannot make anybody else happy, right? Mm -hmm. And that's the same thing with employees. I want them to feel good. And it's not about like having a six packs or like being like super hot. It's not about that. It's about feeling good with yourself, whatever that means. I don't care what you feel is whatever makes you happy. Right? Exactly. So that's, I think, important for us. Oh my gosh. Okay. There's so many things to unpack <laughs> on that. You talk about your the wellness and your fitness stuff. Um, I read that you run triath or you do triathlons. Right. How do you balance being the president of a massive company and also have time to stay fit and also compete in triathlons? I don't think that I could do my job if I didn't have that outlet. I always worked out, I, I played volleyball in high school, you know, this something my whole life, right? But in 2009, I started kind of hanging out with a new group of friends and they were all athletes, right? And I think that was a pivotal moment of my life. And at that moment in my career, I was working all the time. I was single, I thought that the only thing that I could do was work. And I really kind of have left my fitness on the side. and. I went out for a run and my heart rate got to like 200, you know what I mean? And I thought, oh my God, I could never be in this shape ever in my life again. And this group of friends, they were all triathletes and they're like, oh, let's do a triathlon. I'm like, sure. I didn't even know what that meant, honestly. And I remember jumping in that water and I thought I was a good swimmer growing up. I thought I was gonna die. Like I got so much anxiety. So after that, when I ended up finishing but muscle into it, I said, I just went, I love this, right? So I started running, so I became more uh, a marathoner. So I did my first marathon in 2010, Chicago, which was an incredible experience. 
met my best friend through that, also a runner, right? And it was like an hour outlet, three times a week, between five to 20 miles, you know, in a run. You have a lot of time to talk to somebody when you run for 20 miles. So we developed this great friendship. I actually met my husband through running. He has never run again after we met, <laughs> but, but he, 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 went, he went training for a half marathon. He was like, I'm married, I'm done. And yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, you know, he hasn't run since then. But running has brought a lot of great friendships. And it's kind of like this space, honestly, People ask me, because my husband doesn't do any of this, and they ask me, why doesn't he? Like, if he wants to, that's great, but that's kind of like my space. So in the mornings, I usually get up at 4.30. Like this morning, I get up, I run, or I go to the gym to swim or whatever, but it's kind of like my own outlet, and I'm very competitive which is good and sometimes not great, especially when you pass it out to the next generation, which my daughter is super competitive. And the beautiful thing about triathlon is that you're competing with yourself, right? Like you're in an age group and you know you wanna win your age group, but it's more about every time. My times are better, I feel better, I got a little faster, I got a little stronger. So it has been a journey now. My first big triathlon I did it in 2000, I guess, 13. You know, so now, you know, I mean, I guess eight years into it, and I try to do one or two big ones a year when I call big ones, like, you know, so, and excited about this. My husband is an incredible supporter. I couldn't do it without him having, you know, I mean, a baby Hannah was a 11 months when I did my first half Ironman. So she was a little tiny baby and he just has that stroller all over those races. I joke with him and it's gonna sound bad. You know, I mean, this is no, but I joke with him that I don't know that I would be that kind to him if he did that stuff. I said, look, pulling a baby through our triathlon for five hours. I don't know that that's something that I would love to do for you. And believe me, we travel throughout the country with the baby and him. You know, we joke that he's the CEO of the team and Hannah's the cheerleader. And honestly, Hannah, that's all she has seen, right? So people, triathlon is not as common, right? Sport as, as other sports, but Hannah thinks that everybody does triathlon, right? Because that's all she has seen. Actually, she did her second one last Sunday and watching her race and like the, the laser focus mentality and this competitive like edge to her. And as a mom, I tried to play like, I don't really care that much because the more I push her, the more she's probably gonna push away. Mm -hmm. As you know, probably you did that to yeah. your own mother. But it was just such an incredible feeling seeing her do something that I love so much. I don't think that's gonna be her saying, like passionate side like it is for me because she loves stumbling, that's mm -hmm. her love. But, but it doesn't matter to me, it's just seeing that competitiveness. And I think sports for kids, for adults is the discipline, right? It's the consistency, is the discipline. And it teaches you that really strong mindset because triathlon is a lot of pain mm -hmm. so you learn how to endure the pain through a long time and it's not about the pain right that sounds bad but it's more about that discipline and being able to go through stuff mm -hmm. the and mental kind of finish of exactly yeah. right yeah so your nine-year-old does triathlons yes she's I cool need to work hard. <laughs> <laughs> she's a she's a little That's rock star holy moly yeah and she's oh very athletic gosh. she's yeah she's gifted uh, <laughs> but she also I, I, you know, I joke with her that, that lack of confidence is not gonna be her problem, it's the <laughs> other one. So trying to kind of get her a little humble where she just like, hey, I have to work hard to get things in life and not everything is, is easy. Gosh, wow. Mm -hmm. I thought that's what you said and I was just like, my mind is blown. It's still <laughs> blown. Um, wow, okay, so you wake up at 4.30. How many times do you push snooze? Do you push snooze at all? Or do you get out of bed each time? 
I get up each time. I would say, you know, every every once in a while. But but I honestly like got into this rhythm, so I just cannot sleep past that time. So I just get up. It's not like I go to bed also very early. Mm-hmm. Nine o'clock. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm very friendly in the morning. After nine, not so much. And I have never been like I don't drink hardly at all. Mm-hmm. Like I have a glass of wine, but I've never been a drinker, a partier. So. It's me, right? Like, it's not like I want to be cool, like, doing this. It's just who I am, yeah. right? Like, it's not hard because it's, it's, like, who I have been my whole life. Wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Um, I need to just get up when my alarm goes off <laughs> and probably get up earlier. Once you get into that rhythm, I promise you, it becomes, like, habit. Now, and Hannah doesn't sleep at 6.30 anyway, too, so... It's not like, oh, let's stay in bed because she still gets up every morning. So it's, I'm, so, it's I'm good. also impressed that you can have a conversation with someone while running. <laughs> I cannot even do that. It takes practice, but you can, I promise you. It's incredible. You. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so following up on your focus on employees and your wellness um, that you've initiated, can you tell me a little bit more about your new wellness initiative um, and wellness center that y'all put in place? Yeah, so... You know, for us, fitness has been important, right? And this journey probably started, I would say, over 12 years ago. So we, the HR um, person said, hey, we need to do something with employees. We're seeing, you know, a lot of high blood pressure, things like that. Why don't we start a Biggest Loser? And I said, okay, how much money do we need? Like $5,000, whatever that was. And I said, okay. So I went to the CEO at that time, Bob. And I said, well, we need $5,000 because we need to do this awards and all this stuff. And he goes, how are we, what's the ROI, right? Everybody asks that question every time. <laughs> and I was like, well, I don't know, but I think it makes sense. I go to HR and he goes, what did they say? I said, oh, they say yes. And he goes, okay. So I said, ask for forgiveness, not from permission sometimes. <laughs> so we were in a board meeting actually in this room that we're sitting here and people was running on around the building. And he's like, oh my God, there's a fire. Like people is running us like, well, really a fire people is training what do you mean people is training well remember we talked about this he wasn't necessarily pleased at that moment but when once we saw there's a part, employee particularly she lost 70 pounds seven zero and right? how long was the i think it was a uh, six six to uh, eight weeks wow. and it was just she was she took this too hard this woman her name is maria took this too hard and, and when bob saw her and believe me, fitness and, and this wellness thing is not just about the employees. The, the waves that this have is crazy. It's just, it's the kids, it's the grandparents, whoever is on that household. And when you see somebody that has been in some type of overweight condition for a long time and all of a sudden they can't get to a way where they feel better, they skip less days at work, they are more efficient, they're more active. It's a win-win for everybody, right? Mm-hmm. So in 2000. I guess 12, 13, we built a wellness center here in the in the building. And we have a personal trainer that comes every day for an hour or two. It's free for the employees. Now with COVID, right? Mm-hmm. A little challenging to use the facilities just because we, we have to be careful. So they do it on the parking lot. So we call it a boot camp. So it's Monday, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. They do a boot camp. And you know, the transformation of these employees has been incredible. We also have done maybe like three or four, five Ks. So we run a 5K and employees for free and, and the families too. The last one we did, I think it was in 19, right pre-COVID, we have 800 people show up. Oh my so goodness. So we hired a company here in Dallas that does uh, races. So we hired them, we went to a park. And before, up until this year, whoever ran faster than me would get an iPad. 
but I'm getting older and they're getting faster, so not a great combination. <laughs> so we started with three maybe the first year. Last time it was like 13, so I said the budget is getting too big. We have to think about another goal. So, but it's fun, right? Like the employees a lot of times just want to beat me, yeah. right? And then you see them, in, you know, running in the parking lot, doing stuff. We have a guy in chipping. He just didn't lose the weight. He just got into this world, and he's lifting, and, and he's smiling more. It's just incredible for some people that physical transformation, what they can do for their mind. Absolutely. It's such a life. It's when people say lifestyle change, but it really is once you get involved. And that's amazing that y'all did that for your employees. Yeah. Um, Wow. So in regards to the biggest loser, how much weight did you guys lose? I think now we are, like I said, over 10 years, we, we joked that we have done over two whales. So, you know, I mean, like over 4,000 pounds wow. of weight, you know, I mean, because we have done a biggest loser once or twice a year. And like you said, we do speedometers, how many steps. We have done all kinds of stuff. We hired a company here in Dallas that does wellness stuff, so they kind of give us nutrition seminars because it's bigger than, than the workouts, right? They mm -hmm. say 80% come through the mouth, right? So you can work out a lot, but if you don't eat the right stuff. And you know, what's interesting is this culture here, particularly in Dallas and also in North Carolina, Dallas is, is mainly Hispanic, right? Mainly from Mexico. The diet is not necessarily the healthiest diet in general, right? Tortillas and a lot of like grease and you know that kind of stuff, which is delicious, right? Yes. But but for the long term, maybe not the greatest thing to eat, right? So what we're trying to do is teach the employees that you don't have to have a lot of money to eat healthier. It's the same ingredients, maybe in a different way. It's also portion control, right? Instead of having five tortillas, maybe I have three tortillas, maybe start with four and then I go to two, whatever, right? Or maybe then not last tacos without a tortilla, right? Mm -hmm. It's just little changes. And when they start seeing that, oh, I don't have to go and eat like chicken breast and carrots, right? Yeah. I can I can still eat the things that I'm comfortable with, but it's how the relationship with food, mm -hmm. right? Because a lot of people has this crazy relationship with food that food is like that outlet for sadness or stress or things like that, right? So maybe instead of using that, maybe the run or the walk or the weight or whatever. And also you don't have to have a gym membership to, to be fed, right? Mm -hmm. Like we do it today at the parking lot and some employees are loving it, right? You just need maybe a band, bands that cost, you know, $20 in Amazon. Obviously if you can find it today because of COVID, but it's just simple things that they can use to kind of feel better about themselves. That's amazing. And does your, here's an insurance question, um, but does your broker, your benefits broker ever come help in regards to like helping you guys initiate wellness programs? Do they get you guys connected and bring in different seminars and stuff too? Or is that more outsourced to this Dallas company? It's more outsourced to the Dallas company. I know we get like uh, an allowance mm -hmm. to, to do more wellness stuff. So we all take a budget and we allocate it by company depending on the needs. So they help that way, but not doing it themselves. I think that unfortunately last year with, with COVID, things are kind of a little bit on, you know, on the air and what do we need to do and the, the population is changing. So we're trying to, to look at employees more like, how can we do more preventive stuff, right? Because yeah. there's a huge part of the population that is not necessarily on insulin, for example, but they are at a high risk to be, right? Yeah. So how do you identify those employees and, and kind of get to them earlier? Right? Yeah. That's the key. Somebody hasn't developed diabetes, you know, but they're about to, or like high blood pressure. How can you take that population and start shifting their habits so they don't go to that 
dangerous quadrant, what I call, right? So it's thinking about that again in his food, his stress, his sleep, his exercise, right? It's all of that. Yeah. So, and people sometimes think that having, when you start a journey, you have to go to the gym every day. You don't. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the same thing when you run a marathon. People think like, how am I going to run a marathon? Well, you start with one mile, yeah. right? Or half a mile. Yeah. And then that builds in, but it takes time. And, and I think you asked me this earlier, is that mental toughness, right? Because it's not an easy thing. And people today, I call it the Amazon effect. Now, two hours, I got it tomorrow. And some things don't happen like that. And you just have to be committed to that journey and mm-hmm. enjoy the journey, right? Like my daughter is very competitive, as I told you, and she goes, mommy, do you get a trophy? So in triathlon, if you get the trophy, it means you won your age group, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody gets a medal. So she's like, eh, the medal doesn't really mean anything, right? Which. You know, I shouldn't, I, I wouldn't argue with her that much <laughs> on that point. But, but it's, it's about competing. But I always said, it's not about the trophy, it's that journey. For me, I worked really hard to get to the starting line and to get through that finish line. So the race being five hours, 12 hours, 15 hours, is not what it is about. It's the six, eight months that you put your life yeah. on a different path to get to the, that time, right? So, and it's the same thing with the employees, is how do we help them through learn that if they start now with little things, they don't have to go to that unhealthy side mm-hmm. and be there for their families, right? Yeah, absolutely. And so um, one more question before we go, Amazon effect, I wanna go to that too. <laughs> um, but what all do you know, like what all is your broker doing to help you guys in regards to wellness? I know they're there for your, at least employee benefits program and open enrollment, but are, is there anything else that they're contributing for so like for example we're looking a lot into like the population what's happening what are the biggest causes like is it high blood Mm -hmm. pressure is is it you know what is it what are the causes right and what can we do with that population to make sure that we prevent that so in the last i would say year we're looking more into that data we have kind of like a a doctor that we consult with even through COVID. like what are the protocols how do we talk i think my perspective is in the next year mental health is going to become a bigger issue I think it is today but I don't think we have seen all the effects of COVID yet mm-hmm. like the waves are starting to come so that's something that I would like to talk to them what, what can we do like yeah. one thing is high blood pressure but you don't know when somebody is going through depression a lot of the times you know I mean you don't know what people is struggling what demons they're fighting inside right like, and I think exercise can be a great outlet for that or other stuff helping them get more sleep right mm-hmm. because they cannot sleep because they're worried all the time so I would love to to think more about mental health more than anything right now yeah. again no the high blood pressure still not there because people home ate a lot and you know it's, it's interesting because through COVID you saw the ones that got really fit and they got the ones yeah. that went the other way I went the other way I'm trying to get back to <laughs> the, the really fit doesn't look like you did but okay <laughs> I'm on my journey <laughs> you're in your journey yes. yeah you're good yes um but yes Amazon effect I want to go back to that mm-hmm. so the reason that y'all were y'all are and have been so popular is how quickly y'all turn around furniture mm-hmm. and with Amazon has that changed at all or has that made y'all more competitive to get stuff out um, what difference has kind of the most recent five years of Amazon kind of expanding what has that done with American leather yeah it definitely has been a huge competitive advantage that speed to market is huge right so for us continuing to work on ways to be more efficient is key right mm-hmm. everybody can buy a sofa from here from asia from whatever right even within the united states there are plenty of options but the fact that you can get it how you want it 
faster is huge, right? And that's where that premium becomes important, right? People is willing to pay more if they get what they want faster. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, in COVID times, that has happened to prove more important, but more challenging, right? So we still are one of the fastest, but we're like way slower than we were, you know, I mean, a year and a half ago, just supply chain backlogs, as you probably have read and heard and know by personal experience, furniture has exploded, right? And people is home, they don't have an office to go to, they have more time, they're not going on vacation. So a lot of that disposable income for my vacation, oh, I wanna renovate my house. You know, I told you earlier, my water heater blew up on Sunday, and yesterday we couldn't find a water heater in the city of Dallas. So calling people to get a water heater. I said to my husband, I don't care what water heater we yeah. get, one water <laughs> heater, right? But it's, it's things like that, that before you took like for granted and now they're not, right? Yeah. But it also, I think that this pandemic, as, as hard as things have been, had made the company more agile and better prepared for whatever normal is gonna be in the future. Yeah. Like we got stronger, we got leaner and meaner, yeah. you know? I, okay, I love that. I do think that the quality of y'all's stuff is so, I, I was sitting in the chair over there when um, I was waiting for Chris, it was the middle chair, and I think she called it the air. The comfort air, yes. yeah. Uh -huh. So I don't think I could get that on Amazon. You cannot. So right. I think there's still so much value to you guys and everything, all the furniture uh. that you guys do. Um, but obviously there's the, the time aspect, but how quickly are y'all creating, let's say, like a sofa or a chair now? Well, so the cycle time in the factory is three and a half days. It's wow. th three, three and a half days. So it goes pretty quickly. The challenges that we have is the backlog, right? Mm. And also labor has been very difficult, you know what I mean, with everything that is happening, benefits, you know, people is also afraid. Some people are still afraid of, of COVID. Mm -hmm. We should respect it, mm -hmm. but I think we know more now you know, I mean, to be careful, right? Yeah. And also the vaccines, I, I think that, especially in this country, if you don't have a vaccine, for the most part, it's because you don't want to, right? Mm -hmm. but because it, availability is everywhere, yeah. right? So I think that the effects of the vaccine, I'm not gonna get into that, everybody, it's a personal choice, but science has told us that the possibility of catastrophic damages with the vaccine is less, right? Mm -hmm. We'll see in a year what that says, and you, everybody's gonna argue a different side, and, uh, you know, I mean, I'm not an expert, I'm not a scientist, but I think now we're at a point that we feel really comfortable having people here. We know very strict protocols. We have been uh, blessed on, on the sense that we haven't lost as many employees. Mm -hmm. We lost two employees, which, you know, I mean, still really sad, yeah. but uh, it, it, unfortunately, you know, on the masses, it's just something that the world wasn't prepared for, and we all are learning about it and I think today our numbers are way down even exposure you know what I mean it's more about oh my husband had it so I have to stay home we know more about it we know how to to talk about it we know how to isolate so I I hope that that the labor situation changes and we can increase capacity believe me today if we could we would hire 50 people tomorrow yeah we just don't have people even applying for the jobs today wow it's sad and it's here in dallas and it's as it is in north carolina wow very difficult that's that's interesting mm -hmm. um i do know that y'all take such good care of your employees and not just the employees but their families too um i read that you inspired a female employee here to go to college and you've also set up a college scholarship fund for the employees families can you tell me a little more about that yeah so i 
you know, like uh, we discuss, I think wellness and education are huge, right? Like mm-hmm. I believe education can change people's lives and it's not about getting a degree, right? Anything, right? Yeah. Like you wanna be a plumber, do a trade. So a lot of the employees here are first generation from whatever country they come from, right? So they came, they migrated from that country, so their kids are gonna be the first generation Americans, right? And and when you live in a household that this is all you, you see, this is you think that's the path you have to have. And it is a is a beautiful path if you wanna do that. Mm-hmm. But we also wanna show this generation that they have options, right? And a lot of the times education sadly becomes about resources, right? Like, can I pay for it or not? So the founder uh, decided to create this fund and it has been so amazing to see employees. We have an employee that has been with us, I think over 25 years now, and his kid graduated from UT last year. He didn't even finish high school. So when you think about the parents not even finishing high school and the kids going to UT, you know, UT is an amazing school, amazing. right? And scholarships, and, and they go to UNT, they go to whatever, right? We have an employee, I think the daughter got a, a scholarship for uh, George Tech. Great, you know, it's cool. So it's just like that exposure. And you know, as a female, even with the sewers, you know, you don't know what kind of upbringing they had, but maybe their parents didn't know any better either. So they're like, oh, this is, you have to have a job in a factory because that's the only way to kind of create and support your family. And when they see females doing other stuff, they're like, oh, this is not the only path. This is another path that I can choose Mm -hmm. to do. And it's about optionality, right? It's not about, I think that people, employees here can have a really good living if this is what they wanna do. But I would like for more people to know, hey, this is a path and this is a great path, but I also can have that other path. So if the kids have that desire to do it, we wanna support that. That's amazing. And how many families are, or employees are first generation in the United States? Employees, you know, I think it's, it's changing more and more. Right now, it's first generation American in the factory. I don't know the exact number, yeah. but my guess just by looking at the workforce, it's less than 5%. Okay. With the employees that y'all have that are first generation, I know that y'all have some really cool different flags in your cafeteria. Mm-hmm. That's my favorite thing mm-hmm. I read. What does that mean to you? What does that mean to the employees of the representation from their... Um, yeah, it where means that we're from. honoring where they came from, right? Just so to me, you know, like people ask me why diversity is important. And they, when they ask me that, I'm like, I don't understand the question. In, in the sense that, what wouldn't it be? Yeah. Like, it's like, I don't ask you if you took a shower. Like, people take a shower, right? So for us, like, that, that diversity of backgrounds has made this company so much better. And we have to celebrate that. You know, I'm Colombian. I have an American passport and a Colombian passport. But my heritage is Colombian, and I want my daughter to know that I'm very proud of that. So as an immigrant, that's important to me, and I know it's important to everybody else, right? They wanna know, hey, I came from Vietnam, I came from China, I came from El Salvador, whatever, right? So I wanna honor that, that background. So it just also becomes like a fun thing when the countries play, and so you know where people is from, and it just also becomes like a fun thing for us to, That's to really celebrate. Cool. Yes, because I I read somewhere that you started bonding with a lot of your male coworkers <laughs> by talking about soccer. Right. I'm um, the only female producer in the Dallas office, so I talk a lot about football, and I'm joined yes. on their fantasy football team, and I learned how to do that. <laughs> but um, so you know, I, I have more championships in fantasy football than anybody in this company. 
How 11 many? years, four titles. Holy I moly. Joke, you know, it's fine because I'm the only woman that plays. And I play because they all want to beat me, right? <laughs> so, and it's fine. And I, the second time I won it, I was pregnant. And I was like, you guys, pathetic white male <laughs> being beat by a Hispanic woman. But, but it's like soccer. I relate soccer more to the employees in the factory. And the office is more about football. I love football now. You know what I mean? I love the Dallas Cowboys. You know what I mean? Uh, it's hard not to. You, I'm a true fan because yeah. I... I love them when they have been no great, so I never saw them at their glory, right? So, but but I love football in general. When you do fantasy, you love just the player. I really don't care who they play. Just want that player to get the points. <laughs> but but yeah, it's just like. But I love sports, right? Like so, football or you know baseball mm, is not as fun to me. Like it's fun, but unless you go to the World Series, it's more fun, I guess. But definitely football, hockey, anything with some type of excitement. It's just, it's fun. And again, it's that competitive side too. Right? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And and it helps us as women right. excel, especially in, because I feel like manufacturing is also pretty male dominated. Yes. Um, how would you, if you, a female, trying right. to figure out how to bond with your coworkers, um, if you're not a big sports person, do they need to just learn it? Or? No, I, I don't think so. I think everybody, you have to be real, right? Yeah. Like I didn't bond with soccer because I really love it, right? Yeah. So it was really easy. But you have to find whatever that is that that, that gives that connection, right? Mm-hmm. Even between two women, right? Like you were talking about your dog, right? Like I don't have a dog, but you were talking about, you know, I mean, swimming. Like what can we find that we can relate to and explore that mm-hmm. more, right? And if you don't like sports, I think there's a lot of stuff that, you know, I mean, men and, you know, you talk about politics can be a little bit of a sensitive subject because there are differences of opinion, but what else is out there that can be kids, right? Hobbies, right? I mean, I mean photography. I mean, what else can you talk to that specific group that they're interested in? That's amazing. I know we've talked a little bit about Bob Duncan, and I think one thing that I've heard in another podcast was that he never saw you as a woman or a man. He just saw you for who you were and your work ethic mm-hmm. um, and your work. How can more leaders be like that, be like a Bob Duncan who doesn't see gender and also sees women as equal? That's a really good question. I think it just has to start by by having more females or more anything really, more diversity, right? Races, like it's, it's so sad where it's not that you don't wanna hire employees that are female or African-Americans or gay or whatever, right? Is that people is afraid of I, I cannot apply for that job I can't I'm not enough and when people ask me that it's like don't be afraid mm-hmm. like try, what's the worst that can happen you already know have it yeah. so <laughs> yeah. it's not like it's gonna get any worse right I was incredibly blessed because my mother never led me to believe I couldn't do anything and I didn't realize that until very recently like that's what she did. I said, Mom, I just want to climb this mountain. Okay. You know what I mean? Uh, now I think, like, that was a little crazy, right? <laughs> but because she never led me to believe that I was different than my brother. We're only 18 months apart. I'm older. I'm the oldest. You know, but we were the same. And my eyes on my mother. And then when I came here, Bob did the same. And I think as leaders, it's like, it, it's hard not to look at somebody's skin. Or food, but it's, it's about, and, and even as a woman, people just hire more women. I say, what about I hire more talented people? Mm-hmm. It's not just, I would love for them to be women, but, yes. but I also want it to be white males that are really capable. It doesn't matter how you look like, right? And it's about 
that skill set, that, that work ethic. And when we start not talking about it as much as think it's gonna change. Because what's happening to me, sadly today, is we're pushing the diversity and maybe putting people that is not talented enough mm -hmm. just because of the color of the skin. Mm -hmm. and, oh, and at the same time, they can be very talented and oh, they got there because they were African-American. Oh, they got there because they were a woman. It was a woman or they got there because whatever. And, and it makes a huge disservice to that person because they most likely deserve it. Yeah. But they're like, hmm, I, I, it happened to me. Oh, yeah, Bob loves her uh, as because she's a female, right? But I earned everything I got, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm very proud of that. And I want to do the same to everybody that works for me. And when we start talking about this in a different way, you know, like, oh, is this percentage, just even at school, right? Like people get into college based on the color of the skin. I think that's so wrong, right? Like, how about the most talented person, right? I understand that there's some advantages mm -hmm. in certain socioeconomic stuff, but if you take that money side, how do we look at kids and like, who's the most capable for this specific spot and not because they're Asian or they're Latin or this, right? It's about who has the best capabilities for what I'm looking for. So trying to, a lot of times it's even better not interviewing, seeing somebody, it's hard with the voice, you would know who it is, but how can I take all that stuff, kind of like American Idol, it sounds cheesy, or the voice, you pick somebody just because of how they sound, or mm -hmm. because how they look. Absolutely, and how, what advice would you have for, um, other than just like, you don't have the job right now, go for it, um, what advice would you have for other women or people of diversity, like, out there? So I would say, one, work harder than anybody else, right? Two, it just don't be afraid of new learnings, right? And it's just not go for a job, but, but continue to challenge yourself, get education, reading. It's not, you don't have to go to Harvard, Stanford, obviously all that is great, but what else can you do? There's a lot of free resources out there. Networking, right? Don't be afraid to go to a new thing for an association. You never know mm -hmm. who you're gonna meet that's gonna push you to the next thing. So I just think being out there, being in your living room, watching Netflix certainly is not gonna do it, yeah. right? It can be a cool series, but and it doesn't mean you cannot watch Netflix, right? But, but just don't be afraid to take little steps, even at the gym. Sometimes you never know the guy next to you or the woman next to you happens to be the ones around the company and they like you, right? Actually, my first job in Colombia, I got because the owner of the company, I was a waitress growing up in a pizza place and I, I was his server one day and when I got to the interview, He's like, I remember you. And I didn't remember him, but he <laughs> did. And I was against the, the girl that was my, the top graduating of my class, the top graduate of my class, and I got the job. And I remember asking him when I was in the company, you know what I mean, it was in Colombia, and he said, I gave you the job because of how you treated me on that restaurant. At that time, I didn't know. So every little situation mm -hmm. is your best chance to show up yourself. It doesn't have to be you show up to that interview so beautiful. No, you never know. The grocery store, being kind to somebody, like, why not? You never know who you're helping. And it also feels great when you help people. You know, people is like, why do you want to help? Because it feels awesome to yourself. You know what I mean? It's not just to the other person. So I think every little opportunity mm -hmm. that you have as a human to show kindness and, and, and work hard and be passionate is maybe that opportunity that will take you to the next step. What challenges and have you had along the way? Were there any bumps and bruises that you've encountered? Yeah, so obviously, you know I mean? Growing up, tons of challenges, but made me stronger. I think coming into this country as an immigrant, I have to tell you, growing in Colombia, I always saw the US as this freedom, everybody is the same. 
I didn't even know there was like a Republican Party and a Democrat, Democratic Party. I just thought people just vote for whoever, right? Those learnings about how this country runs have been alignment for me. <laughs> but, but yeah, like how people look at you differently because of how you sound, having an accent can have a lot of advantages. Bob said, you sound smarter even when you're insulting somebody. I was <laughs> like, well, that's not what I meant to say. But, you know, having an accent can have a lot of advantages and disadvantages yeah. because they think, oh, you, you're Latin, you must be working in a factory, right? Like, I remember going into shows with, with a male a counterpart and they wouldn't even look at me. And I would walk in a room and they're like, oh, are you the executive assistant for the owner or whatever? Mm -hmm. Many times, right? But instead of letting that put me down, it's like, let me show you why I'm here. I deserve to be yes. here. You don't need to like own me to, to know that I'm here. I'm here because I work hard. And I think when you start getting detached from what other people think and do what you think is right, things can change. I love that. Mm -hmm. um, and you have a daughter. So how do. Um, do you make her feel like she can do does she want to be an engineer? Does she know that you're <laughs> running the company? And how does she feel about, like, how do you make her feel like she can do whatever she wants to do and be whomever she wants to be when she grows up? Yeah, so I think showing her by example is huge, mm -hmm. right? Showing her that I can balance being a mom, an executive, a triathlete, a, a, you know, a wife, a friend, you know, I show, walking my talk, number one. Two is opening doors for her, right? Mm -hmm. I think as a parent, you just have to build this tool set and give it to your kids and they need to learn how to use the tools when, right? Yeah. I wanna use the tools for her. I, I would love to, as a mom, to protect her, but I know that's wrong, right? So building those tools so she can see what's possible, right? Mm -hmm. Every time she's curious, I'm like, let's try. She has no fear, right? Which is great yeah. and also scary as a parent, <laughs> but I wanna climb that mountain. Okay, let's see, and if you fall and something happened, you learn, right? Sometimes she doesn't, but we'll do it again and, and, and we'll see what happens. So I think exposing her to things that will show her different things is another thing, removing obstacles, giving her tools, and exposing her to situations that she wouldn't be exposed unless I kind of make a, a, an effort to do it. If I was like a new 22-year-old joining the workforce, um, what advice would you have for me? I think one thing that is also important, maybe finding a mentor, mm. somebody that can kind of reflect with you on that journey. You know, so being a woman, if you're a woman, or a, 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 a man, it really doesn't matter. Having that mentorship, I think, can be really big. I think continue to invest on that leadership. I, you know, I think as a human, you evolve, right? And you get put in different situations as you learn things. So being there to to be open yeah. to say mm, maybe I need to look at myself in the mirror and I need to change that I think being open to to hearing feedback and criticism is hard right like it sucks when somebody's like well you're not that <laughs> great but it's the truth at least on the eyes of that person right and if you take that criticism and, and use it for your advantage it can be powerful it is painful but being open to that feedback right like I can always get better. I can always get better, whatever better it is, right? I think that being aware of who you are and what you wanna become is important, right? Because everybody has a perception of themselves that sometimes is bigger than what other people perceive, and, and it may be a reason for that. And how do you kind of connect those two things and say, hey, I'm good with this, or I really wanna get better. And, and hearing that feedback, I think is, is important. 
peers, you know, I mean, a boss, your friends, you know, because we all have blind sides, right? Mm-hmm. And we're like, oh, we're doing great. And all of a sudden, well, people really doesn't like you, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So as most buyers of furniture are women, mm-hmm. um, but as most like CEOs and presidents of furniture manufacturing companies are male, mm-hmm. how has being a woman been an advantage? And why should there be more female leaders in manufacturing companies? I think more than furniture it is in manufacturing in general, I think women, are, are really connected to people. I think that side, that, that family side, men tend to be more practical, is efficient. Women try to be a little softer and stereotyping, right? So all of things, so I think the more women there are, the more diversity we're gonna have. I think the employee benefits will improve. I think the working conditions may improve. So there's a little bit more balance there. And I think by having more leaders that are female, the diversity is gonna grow regardless. Because even some people that, it, that has more diversity kind of a background, they feel more comfortable with a woman that sometimes with a man, it just depends. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what would you say is the biggest problem in business insurance right now? Wow, what's the biggest? I think that it is so incredibly complicated. So even understanding what you're paying for, what that means, what includes, like, okay, if I get into an accident, what happened with my deductible? Mm -hmm. You know, like, and going and you keep getting bills and bills and it's scary. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm paying, I think I'm good. And all of a sudden, this complex system terrifies me, yeah. right? So how can we have more transparency? Mm-hmm. Hey, this is what I'm paying for, this is what I get, right? Hey, you're a business, make money, I'm good with that, but don't make it so complicated that you have to have three people quoting and really understanding what that means for a company and to the employee level is hard. Yeah, absolutely. So mainly like communication, education, yes, and transparency. education and transparency. They make it, oh, but oh, this clause here means this. and like. The deductible now is double, and and it's like in lame like terms. Why? Why did it double? Yes, why is this? Why? Happening? What can I do? You know, what I mean to be healthier and benefit from that, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and so the more we understand uh, as let's call it employees or, or business owners or whatever, what I'm paying for and what that means and how can I get better, I think the easier it is gonna be. But the red tape and the amount of layers of complexities in insurance is crazy. It's a lot. I'm all, I learn every day and I'm always taking continued yeah, and education. And you're like, oh, this happened. Oh, that means that, right? Like, so it, it has to exist. Yeah. Insurance are so important. The health insurance, every insurance. But the time you have to use it, you're like, look at with the, the Texas freeze back in February. People yeah. still struggling today. They don't even know how to do the claims. And if they do, they get paid a fifth when they thought they were fully covered. Oh, but you didn't read this clause. Mm. It's almost you need an attorney to sign a contract and it shouldn't be that complicated. Yeah. How can people find you? Um, how can people connect with you? I think LinkedIn is probably the best one. I'm not great in like social media. I have an Instagram account, but I don't do that much. <laughs> you know, my, the, if somebody wants advice or mentorship, I would love to help anybody, right? LinkedIn, Veronica Schnitzius is my biggest thing. I always try to you know, respond to messages there, so I would go through LinkedIn. How can people learn more about American Leather? 
I think the best way to learn about American Leather is the, the website, AmericanLeather.com. We also are in Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, so all the social media. On the website, you will find who we are, our products, how we ship, more about our culture. So that's where the main repository of information is. But if you just want to see beautiful furniture, Instagram is a great way. <laughs> and then also, if someone sees all this beautiful furniture, where can they purchase it? So when they go on the website, they can find a dealer. So you mm -hmm. just put your zip code and it's going to show you as, as a consumer, our best partners on that area. How quickly could someone get one of those mm -hmm. pieces of furniture? Usually it's three weeks. Today mm -hmm. with COVID, we're averaging 10 weeks, Okay, unfortunately. Well, yeah. hopefully we can yeah. get hopefully back to where we, we are. Hopefully we can do it yeah. in 2022. We go back to normal yes. Veronica, thank you so much my for pleasure. your time. This has been wonderful for me, and thank you so much. Yeah, my pleasure. It was really fun.